Since 2021, my firm has engaged with a smart firm, working closely with us on bringing our DEI vision to life as an internal team, with my clients, and with our members. Once you get started in this work, you see that DEI work is or should be embedded into every nook and cranny of your organization, from hiring to systems and processes, from job posting to fundraising. I've actually come to understand DEI work is pretty much everything and everywhere in your organization, and that a good journey leads you to end up looking at everything through the lens of equity and belonging. Combine this with a common refrain about nonprofit open positions and that all roads lead to a highly undervalued staffing pipeline in your organization, and voila, volunteers. It's time for yet another conversation with my friend Toby Johnson, the nonprofit sector's queen of the power of volunteerism. She knows more about what they mean for the sector, more for what a remarkable asset they are for any nonprofit than anyone I know. And she's all over the role volunteerism can and should be playing in diversifying your organization. For those of you who have had the pleasure of hearing Toby on my podcast or reading any of her materials, then you know the following. One, she has no shortage of data to support the power of volunteerism. Two, she has no shortage of actionable steps you can take to increase the number of volunteers, steps to fuel them to stay fully engaged, and how to diversify the pool. And three, she has never had any shortage of enthusiasm for the promise of the nonprofit sector. And in this, we are indeed kindred spirits. This feels like a conversation where note-taking may be in order. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Toby Johnson is an expert advisor and trainer in community engagement. She's known for her modern thought leadership, highly practiced evidence-based strategy, and innovative big hat thinking around engaging, supporting, and acknowledging the work of volunteers. In 2015, she founded Volunteer Pro, which is an online training and networking community for leaders of volunteers. She is the host of the Volunteer Nation podcast. The list goes on. You will find the full bio in the show notes, but let me just say, if you want to know something about volunteers and you don't talk to Toby Johnson, you're missing out. Not just in terms of her knowledge, but her enthusiasm and the joy she brings to her work. Toby, many thanks for your encore performance on our show. Oh, Joan, you're so sweet. It is always a pleasure. Thank you so much. So before we dig into a more narrowly focused conversation on diversifying your volunteer pool, let's go a bit more broadly and talk mm -hmm. about the power of volunteerism in the sector, the need nonprofits have for this army of engaged human resources, especially now. 
So talk a little bit, if you will, about the current state of affairs in volunteer land. We know that volunteerism was on the decline before the pandemic. Post-pandemic, we had volunteer managers laid off. I know that listeners will want to hear from you about what you think's going on and what you see as trends in the volunteer sector. Yeah, thank you for asking. And it's a great time to ask because we're just about to release our eighth annual volunteer management progress report, which is our state of the industry trends report. Right. We do a survey of leaders of volunteers around the world. We had about 1,600 participate, and it was fantastic to learn what's going on in the field. And that's sort of how we keep our you know, finger on the pulse of what's happening in volunteer management. And, you know, last year in 2022, we asked, have you decreased the number of roles you have available for volunteers? So we wanted to look at capacity in terms of availability of volunteer roles. And we found that 70% of all of our respondents had decreased or significantly decreased the number of opportunities available. As a result of COVID. Yeah. So it was a huge just pause button on volunteerism. This year we asked what percentage of total volunteer numbers have decreased and we found 65%. So there's a real correlation between the number of roles available and then this year the number of volunteers. Mm -hmm. That said, even though there's a perception and reporting of our respondents that they had a decreased number of volunteers. When we asked how many volunteers do you have, how many active volunteers, the average is 101 to 250 volunteers of all the shapes and sizes of organizations that respond. And we have very large organizations and we have very Very small small organizations. Yeah. So, and that is, has bounced back from three years ago. And in fact, the mean was just a few, like a point, you know, 0.1 percent higher. So we found that there's a bounce back of that. There's also a bounce back of average volunteer hours per month. So the average is now 10 to 20 hours per month, and it's bounced back just a little bit as well. So we're seeing folks are still feeling the pain of not having enough volunteers, but we're also seeing in the data that we're getting more active numbers of volunteers and volunteer hours are going up. I find myself wondering, because you are the evangelist for the power of volunteerism, for fundraising, for Mm -hmm. growing the sort of footprint of your organization, and I hear so many nonprofit leaders talk about not being able to find people to fill jobs. And I wonder if you think about this, you know, and it may not be in the data, but if there's a conclusion that you reach that the lower the number of volunteers you have, that you're actually, you have a smaller pond to fish in for people who might actually apply for your jobs. Yeah, I think, first of all, yes, absolutely. Volunteer recruitment is a top priority for organizations. In our report, 33% noted it in an open, we ask an open-ended question every year, what's your number one biggest challenge? And we hand code like 1,600 responses. Volunteer recruitment, number one top response. And we do a little bit of analysis of subcategories under that. And then we also asked, what's your number one goal for 2023? And 34% said volunteer recruitment. So it's the top, it's top of mind for everybody. So if you're an organization who is struggling with volunteer recruitment, know that you're in good company with the rest of your peers. 
you know, often people will say, well, the reason we don't have volunteers is because people don't want to volunteer anymore. And we know from global data from UN volunteers, for example, that people actually shifted from formal volunteering to much more informal neighbor helping neighbor behavior during the pandemic. So people who are givers will not be stopped. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, they will not be stopped. So, you know, my sense now that we are getting back to work and, you know, people still do have concerns about their health and safety as they should. But my sense is one of the biggest barriers to nonprofits not being able to attract volunteers of any kind, let alone we'll get into diverse volunteers, is that they don't have the proper strategy. They're still relying on like, you know, if you look at if you Google, I, I do keyword research to find out what the my audience wants to hear about that I can create content that will help them. Huh? Volunteer flyers, huge search, search volume in Google. And I'm like, your volunteer flyer is not going to recruit volunteers for you. That is that's not a strategy. That's that's a piece of paper. Who's the person hand, handing that volunteer recruitment flyer to somebody? That's who you need to think about, right? Right. Right. That's yeah. absolutely true. And and I and I want to move to that that idea of reviving the declining yes. resource. I also yes. really want to say, just to to kind of reflect on what you just said about sort of this informal versus formal volunteering, right? That the pandemic did a couple things. It introduced people to informal volunteering in a way that they had not experienced before. And secondly, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things we have seen seen so much written about is how the pandemic has ignited a, a hunger for meaning and purpose among yes. people in our society. Either life is short or, you know, I, to me, I believe it's at the heart of, in many ways, at the heart of the great resignation that the people talk about. And, yep. and I, I just... I just continue to not buy that that great resignation has anything to do with the nonprofit sector. And in fact, I think it is the nonprofit sector is the antidote in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So so talk talk about this idea. So it's like, okay, so the flyer, no, definitely not on the flyer. But <laughs> how should nonprofit leaders be thinking about reviving this declining resource that seems to be tipping up a bit? Yeah, I've got four big things that I see in my training and in my coaching, because I also coach organizations on developing their volunteer recruitment strategy, that I see missing. And that when they come on board and they get with these things, they end up changing oftentimes really quickly their results. But I also want to pause for a minute and talk about this great, great resignation for a minute, because I also have been talking about how when we create an alternative reality to the the you know pandemic gloom that we've been living through if volunteerism is a place of respite a pr- place of belonging a place of connection a place of meaning which is the reason the great resignation you know people if they don't have meaning they're not going to stick around and they've found look i don't have meaning here anymore right when volunteerism is a place for that to happen you can attract people like a magnet because it's like how many people are struggling with mental health and this and that. I mean, I found my volunteerism and I volunteered online the entire pandemic and I found it was one of the things that kept me sane. 
And so if we can create environments where it's a really welcoming, belonging type of meaningful purpose in our lives for our community members, and we're partnering with them on that, I think we can start to see, you know, it. people are not widgets. People don't volunteer, you know, people don't enjoy working for free. That's not why they volunteer. They volunteer to change the world. And so we've got to make sure we're providing those opportunities. I want to say, and then I want you to go to your four things that are missing, but a couple things. First of all, it was a Daniel Pink says that the three most important factors in job satisfaction, and one of them is not money. It's autonomy, right. mastery, and purpose. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So I, that's the one thing I, I want to make sure everybody's hearing that because you have Willy Wonka's golden ticket when it comes to purpose, all of you. And the second thing I want to say, and this is sort of my my theme for 2023 is that we have to market the nonprofit sector better, smarter. Yes. Right. Yes. It's, it's like the nonprofit sector needs a publicist because yes. if people knew what we know, right, oh they, my goodness. They, they wouldn't be in the stands. They'd be on the field. Okay. So yeah. the fourth, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. I mean, why did I spend my entire career of 25 plus years of work in public sector and nonprofit charities. I never went and worked corporate. My mom kept saying, go work corporate. You'll make more money. I'm like, I don't care. I want meaning in my life. Anyway, so I could not agree more. So let's talk about these four things that I think are missing often from people's recruitment. And this also comes from my past as, you know, back in the day, one of my jobs in nonprofits was a marketing director. Yeah. And so I really learned a lot about PR and, and marketing. And so all these things kind of meld together. But so first, first off, make absolutely sure you have a compelling message about what volunteers can achieve in partnership with your organization. What's your big why for volunteers? And it can't be we need shifts filled. That's not it. I mean, that may be it for you. It may, on practical terms, we need like people to help with these things. But th th what's the end result of that help, right? Down the road, like, yeah, we need some people to help with our fundraising gala at, you know, the, the silent auction. We need people to staff the tables. But what, what does that money do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So compelling messages, the messages, if you go sort of, and I've done this, I've gone on like volunteer match, for example, I just kind of poke around, see if I can find some best practice postings so I can share them in my trainings, right? I want to share yeah. best practices. I look and look and look and look. Not, not so much. It's hard yeah. to find, you know, I'm hoping, you know, with the training that we've been doing, we've been helping people improve this. So that's one. Your messaging has to be, as you said, we've got, we need a publicist, but we just need to focus on our big why. People can get behind that. You know, you know it has to be aspirational, you know? So, so I mean, we're stuck in our day-to-day, -day, you know? Right. So think about this. I, I You're working the silent auction at the gala, right? So mm -hmm. you work the silent auction at the gala, and you don't have, you don't think to say, why don't we just set up a table for the volunteers so they can enjoy the program? Yes. Right? So that they can yeah. actually understand what's what this organization's impact is really about. Like right, make sure that they get a big fat bite of what the gala is actually all about. Because then the silent auction work is put into the context and boom, it has meaning and purpose. Yeah. Plus 
why not make it really clear in the gala programming itself, the gratitude for people in the community that are stepping up and that are understand the ROI of what you're trying to do so much so that they are sacrificing a date night or sacrificing time with their grandkids or sacrificing some studying they should be doing or whatever to come down and support. I mean, this is an asset. It's also an asset that even in our grant proposals, we don't pump up enough that the community is highly engaged in our work, right? So it's an as- a more of an asset than just a pair of hands. Totally. Right? Yeah. So second thing, we need to understand the precise personas. Now, this is a, a marketing term. It's Sometimes people use avatar, but it's the, the archetype of the ideal volunteers you're hoping to attract. And I always tell people, think about, and this is particularly helpful when you're thinking about getting into diverse communities that you haven't worked in before, is to really sort of imagine an archetype of a person that stands in for the group you're trying to reach. Because when they stand in, they become more human. And you you imagine this person in all the detail. I will pick photographs. I will pick like a stock photo. And I will name the person. And I'll try to think about what are their barriers to volunteering? Where can they be found? Who do they trust for information? What marketing channels are they going to look at? What are they not? You know, if I'm looking for senior citizens, I'm not going to be putting my volunteer recruitment appeals out on TikTok. It's just they're not there, right? Uh Or there's a few people are really like forward thinking, but most are not. So, you know, it really almost writes your volunteer strategy. And, you know, people will say, well, that will minimize the number of people that I'm attracting. And I'll say, well, when you try to attract everyone, you try to attract no one because your stuff is so generic. It doesn't speak to people. It doesn't speak to people's hearts. So I always recommend no more than three develop three, start with one, and then develop messaging specifically for that archetype. And you yep. will you will attract other people anyway, but you will be more focused in your marketing. And then you, I don't know, I like to stand in a ballroom and ask people when I'm doing training, how many people have extra time on their hands? Raise your hand as a nonprofit staffer. How many people have extra time? Nobody. So when you focus you can do that avatar really well in trying to, instead of trying to reach the entire community of people, which is impossible. Fabulous. So that's the second thing. Number three. Number three, choose the right channels to reach that avatar, that persona, yep. both online and on land. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about diverse reaching diverse volunteers later. But I found in my work, both reaching diverse volunteers, but also helping expand my programs that I've worked in into new communities, that I need to have a lot of conversations with gatekeepers and leaders in the community. And so I need to start having meetings. And so when I have a clear picture of my avatar, I can start to think about where does that person hang out? Who do I need to talk to that they that might be able to carry my message that right. understands the importance? So choose your channels you know, carefully. Finally, and this is an area that people often, they spend a lot of time on recruitment and they spend very little time on really refining their onboarding strategy for new volunteers. And, you know, you've got to really, again, around diverse volunteers, really look hard at where are there barriers to inclusivity in my onboarding process? How are we welcoming new volunteers? How, you know, I have heard from 
numerous people. Hey, you know what? I applied for that volunteer role or I, I sent an email. I never heard back. Yeah. Never heard back here all the time. Okay. If you're an organization that doesn't need volunteers right now and people are reaching out, do them the courtesy of letting them know so that they can put their fantastic community capital into another organization in your community and put them on your wait list for when you need volunteers. You know, it's not fair to leave people dangling. No. And by the way, not only is it not fair, but those people, they all tell somebody else. They tell yes. five, six, seven people. They say, you know, I really thought very highly of XYZ.org and I actually really wanted to volunteer. And you don't know, no one ever got back to me. And you yeah. tell that at a cocktail party. And then there are 10 people who now have a diminished view of your organization because of that one thing. And not only your organization, volunteerism in general. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to take take the stewardship of volunteerism seriously as an organization. If we decide we're going to, hey, we're going to go all in on volunteerism, then let's be good stewards of volunteerism and make sure that process, and not only that, but making sure people feel welcome, that they have a touch point that, you know, and you can recruit other volunteers as your welcome team. It's not that paid staff have to take all of this on. But it's also that your coworkers, everyone needs to know that, you know, you would never say that, oh, a major donor, if a major donor walked into your building, it is not everybody's job to be courteous to that person, to be helpful, et cetera. That major donor becomes everybody's job. Similarly with volunteers, every volunteer is akin to a major donor because of the, the equivalency of the time that they're contributing. Yeah. Plus- volunteers end up donating as well. So they are like, you know, double trouble when it comes to, or like double the benefits when it comes to organizations, because they're going to donate and volunteer, right? So maybe the name of this podcast, maybe we came up with it. Every volunteer is your, is a major donor. That's interesting. (laughs) Um, Well, I will just to, just a quick aside on that. I I have a friend who found out one of his volunteers, he does a watershed stewardship or organization he works and he brings volunteers in. And one of his volunteers they found out later had created a bequest of his entire estate to that organization. So gang, you have no idea. You have mm-hmm. no idea. So mm-hmm. did we get through all four? We did. Okay, good. So I, uh, you know, my counting sometimes is not what it needs, what it used to be. <laughs> So now let's tie DEI into this conversation. We're going to talk about two topics. One Mm -hmm. is where we're at Mm -hmm. and what nonprofit leaders can do to both revitalize and diversify it concurrently. So let's talk about what we know about what we believe to be a diversity problem in the sector and why would volunteerism be actually set aside in that problem? It's the problem lives there too. So why don't we talk about the sort of the diversity problem in the sector? I think you recently did some work on a study. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So in the volunteer management progress report, even though we had a higher number of countries participating, we had 39 countries participating this year, Most were from the U.S., 79%. We found 88% women responding. 
And then I really wanted to figure out, because I was, you know, for, for a few years, I didn't ask, but I asked again this year about racial and ethnic diversity, because it's sort of the easiest to ask about. There are lots of ways people are diverse. We can't ask every single question. So we try to focus on a few that we feel like we can raise up. And every okay. year I bring this up as an issue. So in the U.S. general workforce, we're at about 76.8% white people, mm. right? In the nonprofit, according to the independent sector, and this was data from last year, at the end of last year, 77.8% white, and that's up from 70%. So the nonprofit sector is becoming less diverse, at least right now. And so, and then we asked in our survey of all of our volunteer managers, you know, what's your racial and ethnic background? And people could pick as many boxes as they wanted. And it came out 91.3% white compared to 77.8% in the nonprofit sector and compared to 76.8% in the overall workforce. For me, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and again, because because I've learned so much from you over the years, the, the volunteer, the pool of volunteers is like a foundation of a pyramid, right? It drives yeah. donors, it drives staff, it drives interns, it drives money, right? And so if that's 90% white, right, you're you're actually you're not in a good place. No, right? you're not. Right. And <laughs> no, I you're not. and I and I will tell you that I when when I ran a nonprofit organization, I put a Latinx man in charge of volunteer management. And he mm-hmm. was he was responsible for recruiting volunteers and interns. And he was naturally good at it, did a lot of the things that you actually tell people they should do. Nice. We diversified our intern base. We diversified our staff. Like it was, it's very clear that this investment is important and it actually works. So, and I know how much you've been thinking and, and talking about this. And so let's talk about, you know, do you think it's possible given the society we live in and the nonprofit sector in general to actually make a dent in these numbers? And if yes, people are hungry for suggestions. Oh, for sure. Well, first of all, let me say yes, absolutely. You know, most of our volunteer managers right now are white, educated, on average middle-aged women, but it's very multi-generational. But those are the women who are being hired to lead volunteers. So I think first, you know, we really need to take a look at that and see how we can diversify that. That said, those women, a lot of those women I'm teaching, right, and I'm coaching, will say, well, I'm not sure I'm the person to take this on, like the the DEIJ, the diversification, the figuring out. And it's hard, as you said, it, it, it it's part of every part of your organization. So it can't just be left to the volunteer manager. I know sometimes people, they'll tell me their boss comes to them and says, I want you to diversify the volunteer base. And I'll say, okay, well, what's your organization's DEI strategy? Let's start there, <laughs> Right. And I'm like, your volunteer manager can't carry this on her her or his own shoulders. Like that can't be the only person. They can't be the only person doing this work. No way. No. This is a team effort. Right. And remember that somebody might say to you, well, our strategy is the volunteers are at the bottom of that, that foundation of the pyramid. So our strategy is to start with you. That's actually yeah. not a strategy. That's a tactic. 
Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And I will tell you that, you know, I'm also a co-host on a podcast called the Time and Talent Podcast with Jennifer Bennett at Volunteer Match. And last season, we interviewed a woman by the name of Danny Daly. She's at the Casa of San Joaquin Valley. And we asked her, and she's a white, educated woman. And we and her job when she was hired, she's a recruiter, and her job was to recruit 42 diverse volunteers. That was first job in the door. That was her job. That was her her mandate. So she went for it and she over-delivered on that promise. And the way she did it was she started with social media. She made sure that all their social media was very inclusive and representative. So some simple things she was doing, like, hey, let's celebrate holidays that are more diverse, that diverse people will celebrate. Let's picture people in our social media. Let's give people kudos and hats off. Let people know that we see them that we see them. Mm-hmm. The next thing she did was she started going around and having meetings with people and different diverse groups and saying, look, CASA is a fantastic organization. It's a great opportunity. Here's what we're trying to do in the community. We would love to have your support. We'd love to have people from your community help become CASA advocates. Right. And it was amazing. She did amazing. It can be done. And it didn't really take her too long. Within six months, she had already reached her goal and exceeded it. She had multi-generational volunteers. She had volunteers from all walks of life. She had multi-ethnic and racial volunteers. She had men and women, because usually volunteering often is done by women. So she had, but it took groundwork. It took a lot of groundwork. And she was very confident Because we asked her, so you had to make a lot of cold calls, right? And nobody likes to make cold calls to set up meetings with people. And I've done this myself, right? I've gone into communities that I'm not familiar with and gotten to know people. And you have have sit-down meetings with people and you let them know. And she is so passionate about her and clear about why diverse volunteers matter in her organization. She's comfortable, confident, knows it's the right thing, and just said, you know, my, my passion for the mission helps me get through the fear of making cold calls. And, you know, what I used to do when I would go to have meetings, like I call, these are sort of like business development meetings in my mind. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I would always ask, who else in your community do you think I should talk about, talk with? And I would have an never ending ongoing list of people to come talk to and, and it works and it's not that complicated, right? Not that complicated. And what you're talking about. So the, the the first thing, you know, I, I think the first thing is, we, we can't skip this step, is that your organization writ large has to be committed to yes. the DEI journey. And yes. if it's not, you're going to just be swimming upstream, really. And the second yes. one is these, these cold calls you're talking about are really to either community gatekeepers or stakeholders. It's not a cold call to say, will you volunteer? It's actually, it's actually to listen and learn, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. In fact, it's funny you should say that the organization needs to be ready. One of my first jobs out of graduate school was a national, it was actually a government-funded employment and training program for young people. And I was hired to reach in because I, I bilingual, more or less, I would say my Spanish has kind of gone downhill since <laughs> in the recent years. But back then I was pretty fluent and I, my job was to go into the Latino community and forge relationships and begin to recruit youth into the program because they found they didn't have enough Latino youth involved. 
And this was not volunteer recruitment, but the principles apply just the same. And when I started working in the organization, I realized that the organization was not ready for these young people. They didn't have any ESL instruction. They didn't have any other Latino people working in these centers where youth would go. And at some point I had to tell my boss, like, look, I, I actually don't feel ethically, I've got a problem here until the organization like steps up to the next level. And so we had to strategize around that because we had a contract and we needed to fulfill our contract. So we had to strategize and we got into more general, general outreach and marketing. But, you know, you do have to prepare your organization. You know, I'll also hear from people, hey, we, you know, like diverse volunteers are not Pokemon cards. You don't collect them. (laughs) You know, like, oh, we found one person and we invited them to our meeting and they never came back. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. because your organization wasn't ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And yep. this is why so we work with a group out of Washington called the Rabin Group and one of the early messages. I'm somebody who likes to, like, get stuff done, right? I want to yes. get it done. I want to be real. Oh, I, yeah. I want an A-plus on my book report. And, like, <laughs> how many different projects can we engage in that will demonstrate or illustrate that we are on this journey? And yes. I was I was told, you have to go slow to go fast. And yes. I just need everybody here listening. You're going to take notes and you're going to you're going to – you're going to have this conversation and it's going to take time. Give yes. yourself the time it really needs. There are a lot of component pieces to this. So being ready and then actually giving somebody a goal of 42, like there might be there might be a, a, a quite a, a good bit of time in between those two things. Then you talk about, you also talk about, uh, you use a different phrase, but I would just call it having a voice, right? Yes. The the diverse volunteers and how they feel a sense of agency. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, that's so important. I mean, I'll tell you, I learned as a very young leader early in my career of nonprofits, I was hired to start a program from scratch. It was another employment, youth employment and training program. And I was hiring 15 staff and we had funding to support people from the community who may not yet have the skills to also grow people from the community into supporting the youth from the same community. And so I was so proud of myself. I had the most rainbow coalition of staff you could imagine. I mean, age, disability, ethnicity, gender, you know, you name it, sexual orientation, you name it. It, I was so proud of myself of all this work I did because I worked really hard at to build my team from the ground up. But my leadership style did not match my team. And I was that hard driving, like get it done top down. We got things to do. I was a young leader. I was not as confident as I am now in the grassroots to grass tops philosophy, which is where we really need to be with volunteers, that my team started to rebel. It was like, well, you know, you're not including us in your decision-making. You're just making decisions and moving, and you're asking us to support things. There were some other things going on that made it difficult in that organization's culture for my work as a leader, but I learned that lesson the hard way, right? That when you're working, especially with people from different walks of life, 
you have got to make sure that it is a participatory type of leadership style, not a top down. And and yeah. that is also true. And when we're talking about diversity of age as well, because you're, you know, yes. Gen Zs are arriving in your workplace and it's not that they want to have a voice, they expect to have one. And I like this yes. phrase that your colleague talks, uses, it's really good, which is learning to lead from the back of the bus. I like that a lot. I yes. like that a lot. Yes. So then you talk about, you also talk about a volunteer screening practices and how you might need to adapt Oh, yes. Them. Yes, 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 of course. And in the past, you know, we often think of screening. I don't even like the term, to be honest. We're right. screening people out. Somehow they don't belong or somehow they, they you know, most volunteers have the right intentions. Yes, I've worked with vulnerable populations. And yes, I need to make sure those populations are protected. But I would say if you're not screening your staff to the level you're screening your volunteers, holla, what's the, what's the, that's the first, <laughs> like, <laughs> hello, right? Because your staff are spending more time with your clients and your volunteers, so hello. But aside from that, we need to find alternate ways. You know, if you think about background checks, criminal background checks, you know, we know from research that a disproportionate number of black and brown, especially men, have been incarcerated, right? Correct, we do. We also know that there is an issue with our criminal justice system, that there are there is bias at play, et cetera. And we, if we only use background screening as our way of screening our volunteers and finding whether or not they're suitable, then we are perpetuating that. Because once someone's paid their due to society, why should they not be allowed to participate in all ways? You know? And so certainly there are certain potential past, you know, like aggravated assault, I would, that would probably give me a pause, but you know, there are plenty of things that are minor that people, mistakes people have made in their life. They've, they've paid their debt to society. What are the other ways we can figure out if they're suitable? And, you know, a friend of mine in California talked about, she shared with me once that in home care, with home care workers, they had women who were coming out of incarceration and they figured out an, a way to waive the criminal background check and offer something else. And these are paid staff, not volunteers, but the principal will still work. Is, you know, what about interviews? What about reference letters? What about a letter that speaks to, you know, what they want to achieve through volunteering? There's so many different ways. What about someone, uh, you know, vouching for somebody? There, you know, we just kind of use these sort of easy, cut and dried ways that really end up perpetuating bias in our how we're bringing on volunteers. So smart. And and this is exactly exactly what I was referencing about it being in every nook and cranny. It's everything yep. and everywhere. And it's just and and being mindful of it, just being opening your eyes and seeing it differently. And that is a, th- a thing that takes time is we have yep. to actually acknowledge assess the systems and processes and see the biases that exist in them and then start to take some of the creative steps that Toby has suggested here to actually revise those to create a deeper sense of belonging, right? And, and not to exclude. Um, Along Joan, along this idea of bias, I would suggest also that there is a bias against unpaid workers. Yes. 
aka volunteers. I hear we hear this in the open-ended comments all the time in the volunteer management progress report. The biggest challenge: volunteers aren't respected. Volunteer management staff aren't understood. Now, part of that is being a middle manager in in any organization. Any middle manager will tell you that they're misunderstood. They're stuck between two groups. I know that I've been a nonprofit middle manager. So I know that's part of endemic to the the role itself. But there's also the, the way that people speak about, I've heard the way that people speak about volunteers. Sometimes it can be quite patronizing. Right. There's definitely a dis- devaluing of the actual skill sets that people have. I mean, I'm a volunteer. Do you think I don't have skill set to bring to the table? <laughs> you know? So I think there's also this bias against unpaid workers, treating them as second-class citizens, which I think is something that never gets talked about, but people need to take a good hard look at in their own organization. How do people see, just one question, how do you see volunteers versus donors? Just in your mind, in your mind, you know, just, just take a moment and think about that, right? Right. And then, and live with what you actually, the conclusion you reach, Right. Yeah, I did a podcast with my wife, and it was not because I was short a guest, by the way, and it was really sort of the story of her journey during the pandemic when she decided to essentially retire and find meaning and purpose, right? And her story, and we'll put that link to that in the show notes also, really is exactly to your point, sort of not knowing quite what to do. Now, Eileen said, I will stuff envelopes, not that we do that much envelope stuffing anymore, but I have, I have a whole, I have a whole roller board of skills and experience that could be really valuable Mm -hmm. to your organization. And, Mm -hmm. and I, and I do think that we need to think more broadly about the kind of work volunteers can do. I mean, if you go to a place like Catch a Fire, for example, the kinds of, the, the kinds of engagements you can raise your hand to do have some have quite quite a lot of meat to them and can really in the right circumstances and the right fit can really actually be of such value to an organization and 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 fill that sort of purpose purpose thing for a volunteer as well. Yeah, I mean, I over the pandemic one of the things I did for my volunteering in an organization I love, I'm a master gardener is I had been on the executive committee and had led the strategic planning when I was on the executive committee, which is kind of like the board for Master Gardener, for our county Master Gardener. And they wanted to do that again, the next round of executive committee, but I had rolled off the and I was just doing my other volunteering. And so they asked me back. And so I facilitated a multi-day strategic planning session, graphic facilitation, you name it. And then after the fact, I gave them a template of how to put it together in a really tight format and everything. And, you know, the, the in-kind value of that. Oh, my goodness. I, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, anybody I know. who's ever hired a strategic planning consultant knows what that value is. Uh, so, yeah. you know, and no, you know, that's just a, a special skill I happen to have. You know, my fellow volunteers all have different skill sets, you know. So, you know, we all try to bring what we can, but the organization has to be willing to let go of their preconceived notions about how everything must be done. So, right? okay, so I I want you to get to the fifth thing and then I'll, I'll recap and then we'll let everybody okay. we'll let everybody go. Um Yeah. So, you know that the, I think we've talked about this my wife's volunteer journey wound up 
with her becoming a master gardener and building community gardens in Essex <laughs> yep. County, New Jersey, Sweet. and volunteering to and growing food that is yep. now being used in a whole host of different ways. And as somebody yep. who ran the Food Network for a decade, the notion of growing food and how to use that food and how food is so central to people's lives, like it's given her just a tremendous amount of joy and purpose. So I'll actually have to get the two of you together. Yes. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. So we talked about a DEI strategy for your organization. We talked about understanding the unique needs of respective communities by meeting with community gatekeepers and stakeholders. We talk about making sure that your volunteers are not necessarily told exactly what to do, but feel a sense of agency and voice. We talked about actually really looking at the process by which you quote unquote screen a volunteer to make sure that you're unearthing what may be implicit bias. Yes. And then the, and then the last one is let's just talk for just a minute before we have to go about surveys. Yes, yes, yes. You don't now, I, you, you've got to set some goals for yourself about, there's a couple ways surveys help. Number one, if you're setting a DEI goal, you can set a baseline and track it over time through a survey, you know, because you can't tell just by looking at people, you know, you got to ask and you need to let people know why you're collecting the information. You know, and I like to be very transparent. Transparency is your friend when it comes to DEI. To say, we believe strongly that a more diverse core of volunteers makes our organization and our services stronger. And so we want to track our progress. That's why we're asking these questions. I feel like being that upfront, right? So surveys can help with that. But also when I talked earlier about onboarding, Mm-hmm. Your surveys can track your volunteer, the quality of your volunteer's experience. You know, you could have a 30-day survey. You could have a survey that goes out the day after their first ship. You could have a 90-day. You can have an annual. There's different points in time. And if you know there are troubled spots in your volunteer experience and your volunteer journey that you want to check on and make sure that people feel, you know, like I like a simple Likert scale question, one to five one, not very, not at all. And five, like, yes, completely agree or all the time or whatever that I feel like my work is valued here. Another statement, I feel like I belong. Mm -hmm. I have made friends here. These are very simple. You know, we're not asking people, you know, do you feel like there's implicit bias happening here? Like that's not where people are at. People just the feeling it's about emotion. Yep. You know, do people feel safe? Do they feel welcome? Do they feel like they belong? Do they feel like they've made friends? Yeah. You know, and frankly, in my volunteer experience, I've made friends with all kinds of people that don't look like me, that don't vote like me always, that don't necessarily think like me all the time. And volunteers are okay with that. If it's a safe environment where that is encouraged and that there are norms of how we treat one another. Totally true. Totally true. So we are just about out of time, but we're not Mm -hmm. out of time 
enough so that I want you to, as a listener, there is some takeaway here that you can actually put into motion like tomorrow or maybe next week, but like in January. And so you totally can. And I just, I would just encourage you to think, what could I do differently? Or maybe you share this with your staff, this, this, this podcast, and you all talk about how do you treat volunteers, right? Have a conversation so that volunteers are actually central to the discussion and, and see if you can actually begin to change that mindset that Toby's talking about and really start to think about how do we make sure that the, volu- you know, that the volunteers we bring in feel a sense of belonging, that, you know, if you're an organization, you know, that, you're, that your organization, including your volunteers, look like the people you serve. Like, those things are big, big, big important things. But before we go, I want Toby to spend a few minutes on self-promotion. And the reason I want to is because you're going to want to hear about the resources that Toby has. Toby, go. Oh, thanks, Joan. And thanks so much for your partnership. I don't know if folks know, but we've been partnering with you as an affiliate on the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. And that's just been a joy to start to get figure out how that might work together. So absolutely. It's been fun doing that. There's a few resources and I'll send you a full list, Joan, and you can put them in the show notes. I will indeed. One, if you want a pretty direct check on if your organization's ready or what ideas for what you might changes you might make, check out Volunteer Nation episode 11, Is Your Organization Ready for More Inclusive Volunteering? In that episode, I just ask a series of questions like, who gets to set when meetings happen? Who's featured on your website? I mean, there's just questions that just start to get you think things that make you go, hmm, hmm is there is there a, a power imbalance at play here? Or how are we including volunteers as part of the picture here? So it's a great episode for just like things that make you go, hmm. We if you're ready to hire a new volunteer manager. Because we're finding that our volunteer managers are not actually getting enough time spent on volunteer management only. They're being, over the pandemic, they were tasked to do so many different things. But this work takes 100% of a FTE. It really does. And so if you're interested, we have a how to hire a kick A, bleep, bleep, volunteer manager, program manager at volpro.net forward slash hire. And that can help you think through the process of finding the right person to lead this effort of getting diverse volunteers, volunteers from all walks of life, productive volunteers, volunteers who want meaning, volunteers who want to be champions, and they do. You've got to get the right person in that seat. And then we've got plenty of other, our volunteer management progress report. You can go check that out on volpro.net. And then we've got our blogs and all that good stuff. So I'll send you a list of links. Folks can check it out on your show, in your show notes. Yep. But we've written, I've written plenty on diversifying volunteers and inclusive volunteering. There's lots more to talk about in this topic. But I really appreciate you bringing me on just to highlight this very important topic. Because you know what, gang? We've got to do better and we can do better. It's not super hard with the right heart and the willingness to make mistakes and sometimes actually be called out on them, those mistakes. It's not the end of the world. We can do this. Yep. And it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Toby Johnson is the queen (laughs) of the power of volunteerism in the nonprofit sector. And it has 
as always been a joy and a privilege to to share her advice and actionable steps with you. So Toby, I'll see you around the nonprofit leadership lab and and thank you for the work that you do because it does it, it you are fueling the sector in a way that's quite unique and super, super valuable. So thank you. Thank you. And speaking of those people who are fueling the sector, to my listeners, thank you for the work that you do every day. I hope you found something of meaning in this podcast, a thing or two or three or 10. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.